This morning when you arrived, you were given an outline of Revelation. You will note on the back two pages a chart. If you put those pages together, that's a diagram of what we find in Bible prophecy. I hope that you will keep the outline and perhaps this diagram before you and that all of you will get a Bible. If you didn't bring a copy of the scriptures with you, you will find one there in the pew rack and that you will follow this morning the best you can as we look together primarily at the book of Revelation. The three distinguishing marks of those early Christians are they made Jesus Christ Lord of their lives. Secondly, they were filled and used by the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, they lived in a growing consciousness of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. To help more of us to regain a measure of those distinguishing marks we've been preaching these summer months about the Lordship of Christ and we made the application that making Christ Lord and Master means that we're to give ourselves to the spiritual ministry of teaching the Word of God. Jesus said, you call me Lord and Master you say, well, for I am. If I then washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. In the spiritual sense, using the Word of God to help cleanse our ways. And then we looked at the filling of the Holy Spirit, what it will do in us and through us. As the Holy Spirit will surface our spiritual gift and help us to function in the body of Christ as we ought to. And how the Holy Spirit in our lives will motivate and give us power to share Him with the rest of the world. And now last Sunday and today we're looking at the imminent coming of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, if you were present, we considered signs of the times. Now today, we look at what is going to happen when Christ does return a second time to this world. If you will take your outline, you will find that after the introduction, John tells us of four visions that he has. These visions 
tell us what will take place in the world and in eternity. Some of you remember back in July 1969 when those astronauts walked on the face of the moon. As we saw it on television, most of us went outside and looked up at the moon and wondered about that trip and what was going on there. The book of Revelation is God's modern television to show us what is going on in heaven and in eternity with reference to Christ consummating history. As you look at the prologue, the introduction of Revelation, here we find Christ communicating. The angelic messenger said that he would return. Every writer and every book of the New Testament speaks of his return. In fact, you will find mention of his return 318 times in the New Testament, 845 times in all of the Bible. Dear friends, what God has made fundamental we must not make incidental. The coming of Jesus Christ is the hope of the church of Jesus Christ. And so as we look now at what Christ has said to the Apostle John in this revelation, let's try to get a picture, an overall panorama. I hope you'll not get lost in the details. And hopefully as you look at this uh, diagram or at your outline in the scriptures, this morning you will gain a fresh insight to the wonderful drama that is going to take place in our world. Now the first vision which John received in chapter 1, verse 9, concerns the church. And here we find a message to seven historical churches of that day. What interpretation should be given to them? There are those that see that these churches represent various periods of history. I wish that were large enough for all of you to see it. But as you look at Ephesus, a period of waning love, the first century. Smyrna, the period of persecution. Thyatira, the period of great apostasy, about 800 to 1500. And we come on down to today, the Laodicean church, where there is half-heartedness, apathy, and growing indifference. 
chapter 3 concludes, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It may well be that each of these represent periods of history and very obviously we have come to that Laodicean age, the last period of human history. The signs of the times are ripe. Jesus Christ is soon to return. I believe that there is the need of preaching and teaching greater emphasis upon this truth in our churches. For the flame of the imminent coming of Christ is flickering low in the lives of many followers of Jesus Christ. And that which will motivate and change each of us is to realize that before this service is over, the Lord Christ may well come to take us home, to consummate history. As we continue to look at these visions, in chapter 4 we come to the second vision, Christ in the cosmos. John says after this, after the church age, after the day of grace, I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And those of us who give a premillennial interpretation to Revelation see that this is a reference to the rapture of the church, the time in which we're going to be translated and taken to heaven. Now as you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, consider what Paul said about it. Have you found that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep are believers who've already died. Verse 16. For the Lord himself, notice that the first, second coming of Christ is personal. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. The manner in which he will come will be sudden. Jesus said, just as a thief in the night, so will his coming be. For the Lord himself shall descend suddenly from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we're told, if he comes while we're still alive, Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Think of it. 
in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the trump of God will be heard around the universe. And suddenly, all who are in Christ will experience the great magnetic power of the Son of God who has come in the air. And we shall rise to meet him in the air. I'm convinced that he's going to come on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. John tells us that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day when he received this vision. And for that reason, I want to be in God's house on the Lord's Day. Not out at Disney World, or playing golf, or laying on the beach, or watching television. I want to be where the action is. When Christ comes, the church is going to be raptured. Oh, what a day that's going to be. What if it would happen before this service is over? I believe most of us would suddenly go through the ceiling of this building like astronauts to meet Jesus. And the rest of you would be left to pay off the church debt. You talk about traffic jams on Interstate 4. If he should come today, think of it. Cars going down the road without drivers. Cars going in every direction. And the unbelievers left behind to try to protect themselves from that moment. Football in progress. And suddenly the quarterback with a minute and a half to go the team is on the 15-yard line and he throws a pass to an end. And that end reaches in the air to catch the ball and just goes on to be with Jesus. And so when Christ comes the first time in his second coming, we will experience the rapture now, why is he coming? Look at verse 2 of that chapter 4. John said, I saw a throne and him that sat on it. And that throne was set in heaven. Later in chapter 11, verse 15, we're told that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ and of our God. And over in chapter 19, we read that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah! Praise as Jesus Christ has come to reign. When Abraham Lincoln was shot, one said... He belonged to the ages, but that's only partially true. Jesus Christ is the one who belongs to the ages. In fact, the Son of God created the ages. Not only did he 
create history, but he will consummate history in his second return. He's coming to reign. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. As he comes to reign, he comes to judge. There are two judgments. Excuse me, there are three judgments. There is the judgment seat of Christ. Over in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we're told, so every one of us must give an account of himself according to the things which he's done, whether it be good or bad. And so when Christians are translated and meet the Lord, they will face judgment. And this judgment will prepare them for eternity. But then we find that there is a process of world judgment. And as you look at that second vision, Christ in the cosmos. Here we're told in Revelation 4 through 16 about this world judgment. This is presented in symbolic language of the opening of seven seals, the sound of seven trumpets, and the breaking or the opening of seven vials or bowls. All of this is symbolic language to describe how Christ is going to judge the world during this seven-year period of great tribulation. You see, all believers, the church has been removed. The Holy Spirit is no longer active here in the world. Unbelievers then face a terrible period of tribulation. This is known as Daniel's 70th week. That seven-year period is divided into two, three, and one-half-year periods. And as you study the book of Revelation and read of the seals and the trumpets, you will see these tremendous judgments upon nature, judgments upon men, and judgments upon the forces of evil. At the middle of this seven-year period, there is one who arises. Read about him there, I believe, in chapter 13 of Revelation. One who arises from the sea. And this symbolic language describes his great power, his charisma, and what he is up to do. Verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And so now the Antichrist has come. The Antichrist is described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We referred to that last Sunday. The man of sin. And so at last now, 
this puppet of Satan, this great charismatic leader who forms an alliance of religion and of nations, rises to power during this period of tribulation. And because of the desperation of men, they turn to him. And unless they receive the mark of the beast, they will not be able to sustain themselves physically. They cannot buy or sell. During this time, the Antichrist makes a covenant with the Jewish nation. The Jews in frustration join in an agreement with the Antichrist. But before long, he breaks the covenant with the Jews. They rebel against the Antichrist. There comes a terrible period of persecution. But just as the Jewish people are about to be extinct, we find now another vision. And this brings us to the third vision, Christ in Conquest, on page 3, Roman numeral 3. The third vision, Christ in Conquest. Here on the diagram and what you have in hand is the second, second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, the first coming is in the air to rapture the church and to begin the process of judgment. Now we find that Christ literally comes to the earth. Zechariah says that his feet would stand on Mount Zion. And I believe that literally that prophecy is going to be fulfilled and that Christ is coming again. He comes with the armies of heaven, with the righteous of the ages. And in chapters 18 and 19, we read about his conquest as he meets the forces of Satan in the battle of Armageddon. This issues in the great wedding feast as Christ has come victorious now to reign here on earth, there is the marriage of the Lamb and His people, the Bride of Christ. As you come to chapter 20, we find Christ reign upon the earth as he has come and initially defeated Satan, we're told in verse 1 of chapter 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And so Satan is removed from planet earth, confined to hell, the lake of fire, for a thousand years. And Christ will reign with his people here on the face of the earth. 
during this time of Christ's second, second coming, the Jews at last have their hearts open and the scales fall from their eyes and they recognize that Jesus is indeed the Messiah for whom they waited and longed. And so the Jewish nation will repent and believe on Jesus Christ, fulfilling Zechariah 12.10, that the Jews would be saved. During this 1,000-year period upon the face of the earth, there will be perfect peace. Think of it. I know of no other place in all of the world that I'd rather live than in central Florida. If Satan were not here, if sin were not present, if the conditions were all perfect, having experienced the healing touch of Jesus Christ. And so our Lord now for a thousand years, and when we refer to premillennial, we mean that he is coming before the millennium on the earth. At the conclusion of that 1,000-year period on the earth, then it is that we enter into the final phase of the battle of Armageddon. You read about that at the end of chapter 20. And Gog and Magog may very well refer to Russia and the Arab alliances that have come under the power of Satan against Christ and his people. But at last, Satan is forever defeated. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. This brings us now to the final judgment beginning with verse 11 of chapter 20. We're told about the great white throne judgment of our Lord. This judgment is for the lost, those who rejected Jesus Christ. Not for the saved because the saved have already been raptured and judged in heaven and now are reigning with Christ. But at the great white throne judgment, all of those who have rejected Christ through the ages, small and great, stand before God. And we're told the books were opened. There are two sets of books that God will use in judging the world through Jesus Christ. First of all, there is the book of life. And the book of life is the record of all who have accepted Christ as Savior. But these are not found written in the book of life. Also, the book of works. Look at verse 13. And they were judged every man according to their works. Not only is the book of life standing in condemnation against those who have said no to the Holy Spirit, but also there's a record of how 
unbelieving men have lived. And just as Christians are judged according to their works and reward is meted out, so in this judgment, the lost are judged, consigned to hell, but they too receive reward or their capacity for the things of eternity. And so at last, all of the lost, those who have rebelled against the Holy Spirit, those who have rejected Jesus Christ, verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire along with the Antichrist, the false prophets, and all of Satan's forces. Coming to chapter 21, we find now the destiny of believers. And again, if you look at that outline, perhaps that will be of help to you. Believers now experience the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. As you read through chapters 21 and the first portion of 22, we find here God's wonderful protection for his people in heaven. How beautiful and wonderful is this description of what eternal life is going to be. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day. Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. There we're told of the protection upon God's people in the glory land. In chapter 22, he alludes to the provision. Not only is there a perfect place for this perfect people, but there are perfect provisions for the saved. And he showed me a pure river of water clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And so Christ in conquest has come now, to deal with the Antichrist, to defeat Satan, to judge the unbelievers, and to bring about that eternal destiny of God's people. As we conclude chapter 22, as you look at the outline, this could well be described as Christ in Challenge Christ challenging his people. Verse 7, 
Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. And so in the first place, Christ challenges us in view of this prophetic picture to be obedient to him, to serve him as we ought. Are you truly ready for the coming of Jesus? I believe that if all of us understood the imminent return of our Lord, that history is soon to be consummated, and that all that we are and have and have done come before Him for review as we must give an account of ourselves. I really believe that if the flame of the second coming of Christ burned brightly in some of your lives, you'd get rid of the beer in your refrigerator. You would pay your honest debts. You would be out here tomorrow night to share Christ with people. You would change the way you live and the way that you talk our Lord challenges us. I am coming quickly. Be obedient to all that I've said to you in this prophecy. But not only is there the challenge to God's people to be obedient, in verse 17 there is a challenge to the lost to come and accept Christ. And the Spirit and the Bride, the Bride, of course, refers to Christ. And this morning, this church, the Bride of Christ, joins with the Holy Spirit in saying to every one of you, Come. Come to Jesus. Come from failure. Come from disappointment. Come from sorrow. Come from sin. Come to Jesus. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. I talked the other day to a successful businessman who makes more money in one year than perhaps I'll ever see in a lifetime. And he shared with me the emptiness, the struggle, and he said there's so many people in Winter Park just like that. And there's some of you here today, in spite of your success, have not found reality and fulfillment and happiness in your life. There is a longing, there is something within you that reaches out for more, for fulfillment. Let him that is a thirst Say, come, and whosoever will, whoever you are, the first time you've ever come to this church, the hundredth time that you've been here in this worship place, those of you who have great knowledge of the Scriptures, those of you who have so little understanding of what I'm saying today, 
Those of you that are good, those of you that are morally bad, whosoever will let him come and take of the water of life freely. And so there is the challenge of our Lord to the lost to respond. And then the prophecy concludes, Surely I come quickly. And John added, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Is that your desire? Does your heart beat with anticipation? Are you looking forward to the moment when the Lord will make all wrongs right? and will dissipate darkness with his light when we shall reign with him forever and ever? Christ is challenging us in light of this picture of future events that could begin today, that could begin before the benediction is pronounced. Christ is challenging us. Let him who hears the Spirit respond. Will you today accept Jesus? Some of you are baptized church members, but if the Lord should come, you'd be left sitting here. There's some of you who have never made a public profession of faith. Today is the day. Make it certain that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And then there's so many of you who are here today who have moved to this area or who have been living here for a while and you're attending our services. I want to ask you today to honor the bride of Christ by coming and identifying yourself with this church. Don't rationalize. Don't say, well, I'm thinking about it. I, I'm, I'm trying to get ready. Listen. Today, if you hear his voice, today, the longing, the needs of your life cries out in response to the invitation of Jesus. You come today and move your life into the bride of Christ, the church, and get involved and serve Jesus as you ought to. And there are those of you, members of this church, who ought today walk down this aisle and say, Pastor, I'm not ready for the coming of Jesus. I want to give my life anew. I confess my sin. I want God's Spirit to take control of my life. Why don't you step out and do that today? Christian, prepare yourself for the coming of Jesus. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. You know that number? Would you stand and sing and... Allow God's Spirit to have His way in your life. Let's stand.